Welcome to our study in the book of Ephesians, subtitled Gospel, Church, and Race. Uh, last week we talked about how Paul introduces the letter with these two loaded words, grace and peace. He invites people to know the shalom, this total, all-encompassing peace between us and God, us and ourselves, us and other people, and us and creation. That is the peace between all the relational parts of our lives. This is where the good news, the gospel, is taking us. It is the way the world was created to be. It is the goodness of relationship between all things that God declared to be very good in the first two chapters of Genesis. But as we were reminded last week, and again this week, there is a problem in this world. This problem is called sin. Sin is the brokenness of relationship between us and God and others and the world. Uh, and, and so one way I was thinking about it this week uh, after was this. The problem of sin is not that we have offended God. The problem of sin is that we have turned away from God and thus broken our relationship with him. Sin then shames us. It enslaves us. It twists us so that we are constantly turning away from God. We harm ourselves and others in creation and our actions and our attitudes. We become, as scripture says, enemies of God in our minds. We make God to be the bad guy. We live selfishly. We become more and more enslaved to these powers of sin and death. The good news of the gospel, as we will see in a moment in Ephesians 1, is that God has a plan to restore this relationship. And so this week's passage is Ephesians 1, uh, 3 to 14. And before I read it, just going to say, um, in Greek, this is one 202-word run-on sentence. Like, I, I just imagine Paul taking a deep breath and then bursting out this long prayer of thanksgiving and blessing. And so this is how the passage goes. Ephesians 1, 3-14. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his good will and plan, and to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the Son whom he loves. We have been ransomed through his Son's blood, and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his good will, and the plan that he intended to accomplish through his Son. This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. We have also received an inheritance in Christ. We were destined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. We were, are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were the first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. One quick observation I had, I was just writing out this passage as a way to slow down and meditate on scripture. And in verses 7 and 8, I just love this. It says, We have been ransomed through his son's blood, and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. 
so often maybe we've heard verse 7, right? We are ransomed and forgiven based on his overflowing grace, which is such an encouraging verse. But verse 8 astounds me even more. He says, which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. Uh, you are set free and forgiven. God is pouring his overflowing abundance of grace for you over all your mistakes, knowing full well what he is doing. This grace that is solely that is so freely given to us is done with wisdom and understanding. God knows what you are doing. God understands all of your wounds and hurt and shame and guilt. And with full wisdom and understanding, God still chooses to overflow your life with grace. As we so often say in our Sunday liturgy after the confession of sins, Jesus knows our every weakness and loves us still. Friends, believe the good news. So let us let that just be an encouragement to you. Another powerful observation from this passage is just that we get a glimpse of the whole story of God. We see God acting before the creation of the world to bring blessing to the world. We see God acting in Jesus to rescue and bless the world. We see God's plan revealed to us in Christ. We see the Holy Spirit given to us and working in our lives. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working as a holy trinity to bring about God's plan for the world. In this passage, behind the scenes, Paul is clearly has these two stories that are shaping his thinking and writing. The first is the story of Israel, particularly the story of Exodus. In verses 4 to 14, God talks about being chosen and destined and children and inheritance. And all of these words are kind of like clues and keys to bring to mind the big, the long story of God. In passages like Deuteronomy 4 verse 37, where God says to Israel, And because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after him, God brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his own power, in order to remove larger and stronger nations from before you and to bring you into their land, giving it to you as an inheritance. Deuteronomy 14.1, God describes Israel as his, the Lord's children. So God chose, destined Israel to be his children. He offered them an inheritance of land. But when they become enslaved by the power of Egypt, God acts on behalf of his children to rescue, ransom them, to bring them into the promised land. The even more foundational story behind this prayer of blessing and thanks, though, is that of Genesis 3. Uh, we've already mentioned how God creates all things and makes it very good. And then in Genesis 3, this good world is shattered. We see in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve, as they choose to break their trusting relationship with God, uh, immediately things fall apart. They be experience shame. They begin to hide from one another. They begin to hide from God. Uh, human sin leads to the brokenness in the world and our relationship with creation becomes shattered. The world is shattered, but the king has a plan to put it all back together. Ephesians 9, uh, Ephesians 1 verses 9 to 10 says this, God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his goodwill and the plan he intended to accomplish through his son. This is what God planned for the climax of all times to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. So God had a plan from the very beginning, since before the creation of the world. And now this plan is revealed to us that here at the climax of all times, God is bringing all things together in Christ. Uh, the things in heaven and the things on earth. So the Greek word here in verse 10 for all things is anakephalio, uh, which means... Well, actually, it just means all things, right? Uh, it's a verb. It can be translated to bring unity, to sum up. Uh, it, it's an accounting term to make the lines and figures 
add up, to, to balance the account. It can be used in like in Romans 13 verse 9 when Paul writes that all the commandments are summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. And that, that's a quotation. So if you have just said, wait a minute, there's more than one word uh, summing up, you can bring that up with Paul. Uh, the point though is that the whole Torah for Paul can be summed up, can be brought together into one point, uh, which is to love others. God's great and cosmic plan for the world is to sum up, to bring together all things in Christ. This passage reminds us of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, uh, So then if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. All these new things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. In Corinthians and here in Ephesians, we see that this is present tense, that those who are in Christ are already a new creation, that God is at work making all things new in him. This healing, this anachephileo is, is in Christ is, is not only for people and God, but God is unifying everything in the universe in him. It, Romans 8, 19, the whole creation waits breath with great the whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it. But in the hope that creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. So God's revealed his glorious plan to heal the world and all of its broken relationships. Everything in heaven and on earth healed and restored in Jesus. Every painful moment, every sinful act you have committed or was committed against you, each wound we have received or inflicted, each blessing from this world, every good and bad thing that you have said or thought about yourself or others, or every good and thing, bad thing that has been done for the earth or for God, all of these things will be brought into Christ and the accounts will be balanced, redeemed, healed, restored. Last week, we left with the story of God with a broken relationship between us and God and us and ourselves, us and genders, us and people, us and race is us in the earth, the picture we were left with was a lot of red ink scratching out every line of relationship we had. God's great and mysterious plan is to heal all of those things in Christ. No wonder Paul is in the middle of this run-on sentence of praise and blessing. The story of God ends with restored people, with restored relationships, with healing and fullness. So my brother was on this canoe trip this summer up in Laurent, right? The water was high and dangerous. People were acting stupid. Uh, they, had a port they had to portage for miles and miles through knee-deep mud, carrying all, like, metric ton of, of canoe and, and equipment and heavy packs and, and bugs up in there, right? And the one guy nearly drowned. And, and you know, you start just taking the facts of the trip and writing them out. And you're like, that sounds horrible. But when they were home, they started to tell the stories. And you would think that they had the best time of their life. The, these moments of frustration and anger and hurt and pain, they were redeemed by the goodness of the stories. God is going to take all of these broken relationships, all of the harm, the hurt. The promise is that in Jesus, they will fade when we see God's good redemption of all things. So then how does the church respond? First, in this prayer, Paul is showing us that it is revealed in the expansion of God's family. 
where before it was clear that Israel were God's children and the chosen and the destined and the ones with inheritance, Paul now tells us that Jews and Gentiles are both equal inheritors of God's promise. When Paul wrote, writes in verse 5, God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. He is writing to Jew and Gentile using first classic First Testament language and expanding the family of God. In verse 11, he says, we have received an inheritance in Christ. And we here is the Jewish people. But in verse 13, he says, you have heard the truth of Christ. Like, you were sealed with the promise. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. We, you, are. God is bringing different races and cultures together in him, unifying them and giving them an equal share in the family of God. Secondly, the church is to respond as the people who are in Christ. It is a term that's used uh, in some form 11 times in these 12 verses. But what does it mean? There are three options. Uh, one, it can be thought of as location. So even though we live here on earth, our location is in Christ. Ephesians 2.6 says that God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ. So sometimes it's used of location. It can also be used instrumentally, meaning in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Uh, so Christ is the agent through whom God was reconciling the world. Uh, finally, it can be used to describe the, the way or, or the manner in which something is done, like in Romans 9.1, where Paul says, I'm going to speak the truth in Christ. And so in Christ can be location, it can be instrument, or it can be a way in which we act. And so Mark Roberts writes in his commentary that it has been shown that the phrase in Christ describes our union with Christ and participation in his life. Being in Christ, therefore, is more than living in a new region. It is sharing in a new life, the very life of Christ. In other words, we do not choose one of the meanings of in Christ, and we definitely should not reduce the richness of this picture to some escapism location meaning. Rather, we need to let our reading of 2 Corinthians 5 shape our reading of Ephesians 1.10. We see that those of us who are in Christ are an instrument that God is making his appeal to the world to be reconciled through. Like we... we we, God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal to the world to be reconciled and summed up in Jesus through us. We are called to live then in a manner, in a way of Jesus in this world. So now you can see why racism is such a sin in the church. How can we be messengers of the unifying healing of the cosmos when we reject another person because of the color of their skin? How can we claim to be part of God's healing and restoration of the world when we refuse to address the economic and systematic injustice that keeps some of our brothers and sisters oppressed? This is not social gospel. This is the gospel. The good news of God's healing must be lived out in the healing and reconciliation and flourishing of all people because that is God's plan for the world. And we are called to start the healing work of as God's new creation, which is really hard. And I had an experience this week, and it, it's just been troubling me because I, I believe these things to be true, and yet when I am confronted with opportunities, I, I'm not sure that I do what I ought to do, and I often leave things left undone. So this morning, uh, or this week, I was out for my morning walk, and for those of you who know where I live, uh, I'm, I'm living clearly in a middle-class uh, neighborhood. We do not see a lot of homeless people around us. And for someone like myself who rarely leaves my neighborhood, I am often not confronted with poverty or need, even though I live here in the city. Uh, but as I came home from my morning walk, there was clearly a young homeless woman sitting with a couple bags on the street and clearly in mental, some sort of mental distress. 
and I came up to her. I, I, I took off my earphones. I, I asked her if she needed help. She said, no, go away. And I, I didn't want to push. I didn't want to force the issue. And yet I've kept wondering, does God give up on me that easily? What does it look like to be part of God's redemption in this situation? I, I called the mental health line. They told me to call the police. Uh, but as we've seen in the news lately, calling the police in mental health situations does not always end well. As I was talking to the mental health line, crisis line, the, a police cruiser drove by. And so I, I went back to see what was going to happen. And she was already gone. And it left me frustrated at my own failures to help. It revealed to me the deficit that I have in my knowledge, my ability to help someone like that, my lack of experience, but also my own fears and prejudices. Uh, as I sat in my office in that morning and the devotional I listened to came from Isaiah 1, 15 to 18. It says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Then the author of this devotional says, This last sentence, verse 18, is often quoted out of context. God's promise to make our scarlet sin as white as snow relates quite specifically to the blood guilt of social injustice. This is not just about personal piety. It is about the fundamental attitude of society towards its most vulnerable members. The fatherless and the widow is shorthand for those who are vulnerable economically and marginalized culturally. So perhaps we might add the refugees, the single parents, ethnic minorities, the unemployed, the elderly, and those with disabilities. God is restoring and healing all things in Christ. This is the good news. All things will be healed. The church is called to go in the presence of Christ, walking in the way of Christ, as an instrument of Christ's healing and reconciliation. And our task is not an easy one. The problems are large, they are systemic, and they will confront us and our fears and our comfort and our prejudices. The good news is that as we walk in this way of Jesus, we have the assurance of the forgiveness of our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he pours over us with wisdom and understanding. The good news is that as we walk in the way of reconciliation and healing with people, God will cover our sins and hear our prayers. Forg but, but let's remember that the forgiveness of sins is not so that we keep committing the same sin, but that we turn and walk in the manner and way of Jesus. We change so that we will do better the next time. And so let us learn, grow, change, so that we can be a faithful church living in Christ to the honor of God's glory. Grace and peace. Amen.